Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Tonight, we have Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Good evening, all. And we also welcome our friend, Game King Sean Sands. Hello. And finally, we welcome back writer and game developer, Bruno Diaz. Bruno, welcome to the show. Hello. So today we're talking about the best Comstomp RTS games, and in particular, like what makes them that way. What kind of AI makes the difference between a robust and rewarding skirmish mode that you'll end up revisiting time and again, either alone or, or with your friends, uh, and something that just turns out to be kind of a, a throwaway tutorial for multiplayer. And to set the stage for this just a little bit, uh, you know, Troy and I have been playing a lot more comp stomps lately uh, with, uh, you know, backers of, of our Patreon, and it's become sort of a fun weekly uh, week, weekly thing to do. We've been playing a decent rotation of uh, extremely on our bullshit three moves ahead picks. Uh, so, like, I think we opened with Rise of Nations, uh, some Age of Mythology, which will not come as a surprise to anyone who's sort of followed me over the years. Uh, the other week we were playing war game Red Dragon, but in particular, Rise of Nations got under my skin, and like in part because I I just I, I was fucking tragic at it, and I needed to, <laughs> uh, I felt like I needed to achieve some kind of core competency uh, b- before I played again, and I started playing a lot of uh, like skirmishes against the AI, and not, and believe me, not a particularly good AI, like a <laughs> A perfectly fine uh, training wheels, firmly, firmly fastened, helmet on, uh, artificial intelligence for for Rise of Nations, and I was still I was still having difficulty. Uh, but in particular, it was the way I was having difficulty that really jumped out at me. Um, I was making progress; I could tell I was getting better at the game. But the way things would start to fall apart for me started to follow a certain pattern that felt very familiar to me from my experiences playing against humans online in other RTS games. And that's the, um, I'm sure you've all had this moment if you, if you play RTS games on the regular, but it's where you're leading, you're doing well, like you were making progress and sort of like churning through the enemy units and maybe starting to knock out bases and like you're expanding, things are going well. And then your momentum just kind of stalls. And you start fixating on winning the fights right in front of you, because if you can just break through this next line of resistance or something, you can you can knock out their main. You can you can just savage their production buildings, uh, but you can't. And the harder you try, uh, the more you're just sort of burning out behind your attack. And meanwhile, your opponent is only half fighting the battle, and what they're doing is macroing like like crazy, just, just building up, uh, you know, their economy and building reinforcements and slowly you feel the match start to turn away from you. Like, you know, your units aren't getting the right upgrades. There, there are fewer of them. The enemy seems to be getting stronger. And the next thing you know, you are just getting rolled up, uh, you know, like, like a cheap carpet. And this was happening to me in these AI matches in rise of nations. And, it was a real shock to me because it felt so lifelike and it kind of got me hooked on playing rise of nation skirmish because to me, this, this kind of AI performance, this, this sort of feeling of being against an actual opponent was kind of novel because for me, 
I associate, I'm very, like, I've come to regard a lot of skirmish AIs as being pretty limited and kind of one-trick ponies just meant to, to whip you into shape. And I, I kind of want to talk about this experience and, and sort of the games we feel have done this right and, and those that haven't. Uh, but but to start off, I guess does does that sound familiar to anyone? Does 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 anyone else have like similar stories like that to tell about uh, AI opponents? Oh, definitely. Like my last game of um, Age of Empires two, which is another classic comp stomp uh, RTS, went exactly like this. Um, I don't remember who I was playing. My opponent, like this is on a small skirmish map, was playing one of the Archer civilizations mm-hmm. in that game. And uh, they just started massing at archers. And I'm not playing on a high difficulty. The AI, the skirmish AI in the game is very single-minded. Mm-hmm. Um, it just found this little side path um, around a lake into uh, through this little um, corridor between a lake and a little forest. Mm-hmm. Right, Woods are impassable in this game. So it was just like streaming um, masked archers into that uh, little hole. And the only reason I was in that game at all, because I'm pretty bad at RTSs in general and not, you know, not on top of my game in at all there, um, was that the AI was making the very poor choice of streaming archers down there instead of, like, sending a mass up around uh, another angle where it would have, like, a better, uh, a better angle into my base, right? And I start doing the the correct thing, the thing that you're supposed to do in the situation, which is I start uh, making uh, mangonels, right? In Age of Empires 2, the mangonel is a catapult that fires uh, a batch of projectiles that has this AoE attack that is pretty much designed to counter uh, massed foot troops, right? So I'm just sending mangonels at them, and those you know each mangonel eventually gets taken out by archers, but it's trading with dozens of the archers each time because they're just you know getting those massive aoe shots so you're just getting Uh, like a super efficient engagement yeah kind of the ai is uh, and this is playing on uh the hd re-release of asian empires 2 which i think has improved ai the ai is actually shockingly good at dodging mangonel micro right no way yeah, yeah, they will actually, even, I was playing on, like, moderate difficulty, the AI will actually, like, send its uh, its little soldiers away and try to scatter them and avoid the, the shots. It's not, like, it's not, like, masterfully good at it, but it, it is actually, like, impressively not terrible. But I was definitely getting some decent shots and getting some good, efficient engagements. The thing is that it didn't matter. I was spending so much of my attention, so much of, like, my uh, limited crappy flesh brain um, microing those mangonels that I wasn't really building up my economy. I wasn't able to like boom on the backside because I, I didn't have the uh, the wherewithal to to manage all that. So the AI just pushed through my mangonels. It just, you know, outproduced archers even, even though those archers were super inefficient in actual engagements. They just, there were just so many of them that I eventually got overwhelmed. I have, um, I, it's like, like the base idea of what you're describing, that sense of getting ahead, getting into a position where you have a strong path forward and then letting that path just evaporate in front of you is a hundred percent. Like that is, that's my MO. I li- that's, that's where I live. That's my home. Uh, but 
I do it with the exact opposite problem that you have, um, which is to say that once I'm ahead by two, right? I, you know, we'll just pick a random number. I, and my go-to game is 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 StarCraft Two. We'll get into in a little bit why that is, and and maybe why you know that's not actually. I wouldn't necessarily put that up as the primary, you know, pinnacle of uh of of ai but it, it's where i feel most comfortable and have tend to have the most fun uh with comp stomps um i will go in and i will do the right things right if i'm protoss you know i'll run out with uh, you know some early zealots or maybe uh you know get an early air push into the back line and the mineral line and i will i will weaken you know the whatever computer opponents I'm up against and I will do that and I will feel like, aha, now I'm ahead. And then I just put the walls up just like, okay, now I'm going to be double ahead. And, you know, and and in my head, I'm like just a bunch of expand. I'm going to build a lot more probes and I'm going to focus on my economy. And I'm just like, you know, at some point, right. I'm, I'm creating units, but I'm not following through. I'm not maintaining that pressure. And inevitably both in, in games, um, uh, against actual humans as well as to a lesser extent some of the you know the the more advanced ai i'm just like here why don't you have a chance to recover and rebuild your economy and then i will wait over here for you to finally just come kill me because that is apparently my end game strategy all too often uh so yeah i kind of i kind of have the opposite problem which is as opposed to that sort of you know constantly streaming in and streaming at the ai um i let it catch back up or you know opponents in general um i find it's it's actually it's actually a problem that comes up and and, and i know we're talking primarily about comstom so i think there's also this interesting component of, of of how single player ai uh particularly when there are campaigns that mirror that kind of sort of comstom structure and you know add different sort of elements to that um often you know particularly later in games i do the same thing where i'm just like okay the 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 story has told me there's this massive base i must need a bajillion people to go get it and so i just sort of you know inevitably let the computer out 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 macro me um so yeah i mean i'm totally familiar with the the idea of it uh but i kind of come at it from that that different error I mean, for me, Rise of Nations is is the game. I think it is the best uh, real-time uh, strategy game ever made and probably the best uh, comp stomp uh, game, especially for teams. And I think it is specifically built to be a difficult computer challenge because of the way it is structured. So many RTSs of the Age of Empire games and StarCraft are set in a single base. You have the one headquarters to take. But the structure of uh, Rise of Nations, you have a series of cities each of which can be defended, each of which must be taken. So they attrit your army as you go through. So it's not just that um, the AI is getting stronger because it's so skilled. It's that you have to march all the way to, to, to Moscow, losing troops in Poland and Smolensk yeah. while you get there. Um, so it is a specific design based on uh, the way that it tries to mimic history and mimic campaigns. It is an intentional design choice. And it works really, really well um, to do that. And I think it's quite a clever uh, design. Uh, you know, the, the larger a city is, the more developed it is, the more hit points it has. Uh, the weaker cities are easier to take. So you can get overconfident that the game will trick you into thinking you're doing really, really well in a war. Then all of a sudden, some big army smashes you in the side. 
um, flank attacks are very, very effective. Um, so it has this whole um, war-like feel to it. Uh, it is a game that continually surprises me. Uh, one of the developers of um, Rise of Nations uh, once told me that, you know, a lot of people give Rise of Nations credit for having, having this wonderful AI. And he said, but it's often just a total lie. That they think they're seeing this amazing AI, but what they've seen is something that they've tricked themselves into seeing. They're having this wonderful, masterful game, and they're they're translating what the game is doing into a thoughtful process, when it really might not be. Um, it's just a very mechanical way it does things. Uh, so part of it, but I think he was kind of underselling what that the first the AI in uh, Rise of Nations, but also how the design is set up to give the AI a real working chance against a human player. I think Age of Empires 2, which Bruno was talking about, really, really good comp stomp game. Age of Empires 1 and Age of Empires 3 were not, and I can't figure out why that is. I don't know what it is about the design that makes both of those both very good RTSs. I've enjoyed them both in their time. I think Age of Empires 3 is actually a really, really good design. Uh, I think it, but it's not a good Comstop, not a good team player versus the computer game because the AI is just not very good. Uh, it will, It is just too static. It does not know what to do. Um, the AI personalities are so divergent from good play, uh, whereas Rise of Nations, with its multiple bases, even, a, even an economic AI can put up a good battle. And I think that's one thing that lifts Rise of Nations above so many other games. I think I definitely agree with your Rise of Nations developer there, because like speaking as a game developer, the way we call it video game AI kind of mm -hmm. mystifies what it actually is, yep. which is just a continuation of all of the game's other mechanics and systems. Yeah. Right? There's no real distinction between what's AI and what's just the actual game mechanics. Right. If we look outside the realm of the comp stomp a little bit and we look at the grand strategy game, which actually... Um, turns the so-called AI into transparent mechanics, mm -hmm. right? And explains why the AI hates you, why the AI is acting in certain ways. Um, the AI in RTSs doesn't work very differently from that, right? Um, what I feel like right, makes Rise of Nations such a good comp stomp game is just the fact that it has so many features that are designed to like lower the cognitive load of the RTS, right? The way that villagers will just start auto-gathering on gather points on the uh, on, the, on the city. The way that everything that you do is always moving towards a cap that gets increased with technology so you're never um, so you're never like sort of chasing the boom constantly. You don't have to constantly manage the macro and you can focus on what's important in front of you at any given time. The game feels a little bit less like you're sort of at this inherent disadvantage from the AI because you don't have to divide your attention as much. You don't have to like be focusing on multiple things. The way that the game incentivizes those big massed armies and not small-scale raiding so much so that you know fighting on three or four fronts isn't something that happens quite as much in that game. Um, with Age of Empires, though, I, I really don't know that I have another answer for that either because Age of Empires 2 is obviously like the high point of the series in general. Um, but... I don't know why it's a better comp stomp game. Here's here's a question because I have not played enough Age of Empires two to to answer this myself. But like, 
Rise of Nations contrasted really sharply for me against uh, both my memories of Age of Mythology, but also uh, when we when we've revisited it in the last few weeks. Now, after the first like couple games where uh, me and the folks we were playing with sort of had to recover some of our skills and just game literacy uh, about Age of Empires, um, it wasn't long before those those AI opponents, those computer opponents start to reveal their, not even, it's not even tricks, just their uh, predispositions. Like you will, they will try, they will beat their head against the wall again and again and try the same thing a million freaking times. Like they will come from the same angle all the time. And so like real quickly you learn like, oh, here is the route that the, for whatever reason, uh, the computer is using to come attack me. Uh, I will build fortifications here and just, you know, lay waste to them, which you you can't, you certainly can't do against a human. Uh, but like, Age of Mythology in my memory is always a game where really quickly, comp stomps took on a very different form than playing the game honestly at all. Right, like very quickly, you 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 the game the the computer opponent invited you to kind of game it and, and abuse it, and the reason that to a degree like it would start to pale for me after after a time and i still enjoy playing it in you know in skirmish and comp stomp mode but it kind of fell into a couple archetypes that i think are really useful to describe here because i think a lot of rts's most of them end up falling into these traps with the way their computer opponents behave and broadly like uh there's sort of three patterns that I identify in Age of Mythology that I see remixed and again and again across different uh, RTSs. The first is sort of the, the rush opponent that really quickly just tries to get in your face and like derail your game from the start and never lets you off the map. That let, lets you off the mat. So, you know, within probably two minutes, maybe even 90 seconds of game start, you need to be worried about what might appear from the edge of the fog of war. Like, you know, the pressure will start very early, but it doesn't really escalate that much. Like, if you fend off those early advances, it, the later advances are not going to get more difficult. The, the computer opponent will probably keep trying similar types of attacks and similar numbers again and again. The tech might improve as the game goes on. But fundamentally, you're going to keep seeing these little these little pinprick attacks, and if you don't get tripped up by them, uh, the flurry of blows that brings you down if you don't like sort of field it perfectly, completely bounces off of you uh, once you've sort of figured out this trick. The other two things that I tend to see a lot are the um, kind of the the, the turtler that just tends to stay home and not have much of a map presence, builds up a lot of defenses, has probably a pretty sprawling base and uh, army, but doesn't really do much aggressive with it. Uh, and then there's kind of the boomer that will like hold its fire and then clobber you with, you know, with a massive army. Uh, and it won't operate at a very fast tempo, but like when it moves, it moves with everything it's got. And that's a different kind of challenge. But 
once you sort of figure out those modes of behavior, Age of Mythology becomes a game where you just, it, it is so easy to tailor your game around the limitations of that skirmish AI that it stops being as interesting uh, for me. It stops being as exciting to play and it stops feeling like I'm even meaningfully improving, right? All that is happening is maybe the timing is getting faster as the difficulty gets higher. Uh, you know, you have to brace yourself for the attack sooner rather than later, but it starts to feel very rote and like almost prescribed as you play it. And I think a lot of RTS AIs fall, fall in, into one of these traps or, or maybe a variety of them. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I agree. And that's sort of the, as I was thinking about this question, the central answer to the question of what for me represents really good AI or, or something I enjoy playing against is a system that can craft the illusion that it is playing the game, that it is adapting to the game. Mm -hmm. It is in interpreting what it seems like I'm doing and trying to play rock, paper, scissors, right? It isn't just saying I'm scissors. Here I come, still scissors, right? And you just have to go. Right. Okay, I guess I'm just I'm just rock then. Um, where where every role feels like it might be doing something different, and and that has something to do uh, potentially either with what I am doing or what the map does or what the conditions are, what the resource situation is like. Like that is that's at the center of it. And I mean, I, I get I we'll we'll come back to it a lot. I think you know I think it's fair to say that there's a lot of things working uh, in Rise of Nations AI's favor that makes it looks like it is doing that but ultimately for me that's what makes that experience positive whether it is an illusion whether it is just you know really elegant game design and a competent enough ai to 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 craft that sort of uh you know that that mystique over the battlefield or whether it really is that good um that's what that feels like uh, it, it feels like a, it feels like not a, it's not about being a human opponent, but it is about having an opponent that exists within the game you're playing at the time you're playing it. Yeah. I mean, game AI isn't really designed to win. It's designed to lose gracefully. Um, though to be fair, I do think that the attraction of those games for at least some players, at least some of the time is that the AI is kind of road and predictable. Right, it's called a comp stomp, not a comp <laughs> duel between two incorruptible <laughs> right. opponents. Right, fair. <laughs> um, and the the problem is that when the the sort of road unpredictable gets into the point where the AI seems like willfully stupid, right? Um, I remember another game that I had with Age of Empires two, where I'm playing on Mega Random, which is the does like Age of Empires two has randomized maps. That's like a notable feature of the series. Um, and Mega Random is the most random of all random maps. It's a new feature, I think, from the HD expansions, where it can be basically anything. And the game generated uh, a water map, right? So there's two, two land masses separated entirely by one big body of water in the middle. And I won that game entirely because the AI, like, we got into a naval war ob obligatorily, right? There's no other war we could have had. Um, and I eventually was able to uh, row my galleys over to them. I was playing the Chinese um, random civilization as well. So the Chinese are like, are like a decent naval choice. They're not like a top-level naval uh, civilization. My AI opponent was a little unlucky. They got the Aztecs, which are a pretty mediocre naval sub. The thing is, though, like, you know, 
in the late game, I have like total water control. I just row my navy up to the shore. I, l I do the thing that you're supposed to do, which is you land like two or three villages and you build a castle on their shore. And then you use that castle to make units to take over their land. Um, and the way that game ends is that once the castle is up, the AI just streams this huge army of eagle warriors that they built up. That it was just sitting in their uh, in their base for the entire game. Like they, they, I realized that like I got a little disappointed. Like that, that moment was a little deflating because yeah. I realized that the only reason I won is that the AI spent the entire game throwing massive amounts of gold down this hole <laughs> instead of building more fire galleys, right? You know, and this is I, I think that's it's a really interesting point, and it's why. While I will agree that I think Rise of Nations is the best example out there, I said at the start that my favorite is actually StarCraft II. And the reason why is because, and you said sort of, you alluded to this, Rob, when you were talking about it originally, like you're playing the game, but you don't actually feel like you're getting better um, because it is it is this kind of, it is almost sort of this overwhelming competition uh, to kind of, to kind of, reach that first hill to feel like you've you've got room to breathe and develop when i play a a comp stomp or a you know an AI against starcraft 2 ai what i feel like i'm doing in that moment is working on my game working on some element of the game and that idea of the computer doing me the favor of losing gracefully is really interesting like it feels like it is like i can tune the challenge to where i want it depending on you know how difficult i, I you know set the ai's supposed you know ability at um but i feel like you know when i'm in that i, I can sit and sort of think about what i'm doing and what i want to do better and what I want to kind of work on and develop and try different things at it. And it doesn't feel like I'm just so far behind the eight ball. I can't get my head around that. But at the same time, it also doesn't feel stupid. It doesn't feel like, uh, you know, I just, I guess I'll just practice my timings over here and then I'll go decide when to kill uh, the computer. It feels like the computer is doing something in that game at the same time. Um, and I think that's, that's to me really interesting, which is that I don't necessarily want the best AI. I want the best balance for what I'm hoping to get out of that constomp and that sense of progressing in my ability to play the game while also it not being, you know, brain dead. How about some of the newer art? Yes. Now, Rob, you've played a lot of home of uh, homeworld uh, deserts of Karak. Yeah. How does that stock up? I, I know you're. It's a really good game. I you played a lot more of it than I have, and you had a chance to do some of that with our Patreon donors, I believe. Yeah, but it's it's fun. Look, it's fun. It's a great game. Playing with people is a blast. But it is definitely an, a computer opponent that you can tell only knows a couple things, really. Right? Like, you know, if. It starts rushing you really quickly. You better just buckle up because it's going to keep doing that, right? Like it's never going to have the moment where it switches out of uh, constant rushing. It's just going to keep coming uh, until it's basically like wrecked its economy, and then it'll stop, and then it will start trying to tech up and uh, try to build up. But it will stay on that strategy way too freaking long. Um, it tends to be an AI that doesn't really know, like. So, a thing that you sort of have to know when to do it in Homeworld Deserts of Crack is that um, 
you have to recognize the decisive point in those matches. And part of that is because like literally every side has this giant supercarrier wandering around. Like where that thing goes is the mothership. That is the most powerful and important unit on the battlefield. Uh, but you also need to have like map presence and map control well beyond that. And so there's this uh, really exciting game of cat and mouse where you're trying to extend your vision and, uh, you know, conceal where your home base really is. Uh, but then you also need to be able to sort of have that clenched fist, right? You need to be able to, uh, you know, put massive amounts of power into the critical fight at the, at the right moment. And you need to recognize when that critical fight is happening. The artificial, you know, intelligence, the, the computer opponent doesn't really seem capable of recognizing that in that game. And so it tends to, with something that, I would notice happening when we were playing was if we all survived the early game rushes, we would just start rolling across the map. And whenever somebody ran into any kind of trouble, uh, you know, they could call for reinforcements or they would just go all in on, go all in themselves. And the computer didn't know how to either bail out of a fight that it was losing or to really escalate it uh, effectively. And so once you had those tendencies clearly identified, the computer opponents started getting less and less interesting. Now, in all these cases, that we have a ways to go in turning up, uh, you know, turning up the difficulty. We kicked up a notch, and you were saying, you know, you were seeing the same behaviors, just maybe executed a little more briskly, a little more competently, but. I think that game structure is a challenge for the computer opponent to really to really fully grok. It also doesn't help that, in general, Deserts of Krok is a very constrained battlefield. That is, a, like, you know, what you were bringing up earlier, Troy, about Rise of Nations, where there are all these tripwires to your progress. Like, you have to siege down every single city on, on your way to victory. Deserts of Croc doesn't have that. It's a small map. There are no barriers. It's an expanse of sand. Um, once things start to turn and you lose the ability to project power over, over distance, you get cornered very quickly. The game snowballs fast. And the way you prevent that is by knowing where to make your stand and when to just bail out and like fade into the dunes. The computer opponent doesn't have that sort of game vision. And it's very easy to tell in short order when it's basically just following its following its script, you know, going by the numbers and when it is finally run, like it no longer knows what to do in this situation. It's, it's off book and it has no idea what to do. You know, thinking about recent RTS games, um, cause, cause there've been, there've been games that have come out and I think that's like, you've, you've nailed it with deserts of, Karak. Um, I also think of games like Ashes of the Singularity. I think of like Grey Goo games that I loved in the moment, but didn't seem to didn't seem to connect with me on that sort of comp stomp level. That classic, like I mean, it's hard to talk about RTS games and you know what I love about them without just living in that you know area between about 1993 and <laughs> you know about 2000. Like it's that's that's the sweet spot. Um, I found actually that the the RTS games that I've enjoyed the most um, 
over the past five years have been have had a, a strong RTS element in them, but aren't in that classic StarCraft, Warcraft, Age of Empires model. I'm thinking about like um, uh, Ultimate General Civil War, one of my absolute favorite games of the past few years. Um, definitely an RTS, but not in that classic yeah. sense, right? It's 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 very different. Uh, another one that I really like that has has all the sort of elements, but a totally different take on the way you're interacting with the AI opponent is they are billions, right? You're building stuff, mm-hmm. you're collecting resources, um, but it's not that same sort of environment. It's not a it's not sort of that one v one. I get your base or you get my base. Um, those games to me have richly enhanced the way I think about an RTS and what I really enjoy in them. Um, in a way, like like almost like sacrifice and battle zone did back in the day, where it's like, oh, this can be something else at the same time. There are billions is an interesting one to bring up because that game obviously has this lineage of tower defense games. Yeah, totally. Which themselves are descended from mods for RTS games that are like you know, variations on the comp style, right? It, there's mm-hmm. this like arc of uh design deviation that leads into the Arbillions. Yeah, harkening all the way back to, was it Warcraft 2 that had, like, where, where things like even Defense of the Ancients, the Dota model came out of, or was that Warcraft 3? Dota is Warcraft 3. 3, but okay. Like, but, like, Age of Empires 2 and probably 1, 2 definitely had, like, custom maps and mods, because Age of Empires 2 right. has a very extensive map editor, um, which were essentially tower defense mod- modes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I well, their billions is interesting because it is sort of the like it's got that perfect balance of it's all the fun of a comp stomp because you're just gonna watch you're gonna watch your beautiful weapons of destruction do their you know unholy work for hours and hours just <laughs> chew through waves of enemies. But also, it doesn't matter how bad those enemies are because you know the godsend the game designers everywhere zombies can't think and they can't reason uh and so absolutely just keep feeding them in and it's not a drawback to the game it's just uh you know the nature the the nature of the beast um i yeah i really think like they are billions i'm I'm really curious to see what what finally happens when it comes out of early access and it it hits general release but like Mm -hmm. i think the, the real genius of this is it really recognizes like look here's what most people really loved about RTS games. Like, you know what I mean? Like, here's the thing that people just <laughs> love to fucking do was just like play that power fantasy. And like, people didn't want to lose against people. And they, they almost barely didn't even really want to bother. Like, you know, learning to get good, uh, you know, as, as Sean is trying to do with, with Starcraft. Uh, what, what they want to do is just see, you know, cool weapons, cool shit, uh, destroying things. And their billions, it's so self-consciously like a retro RTS aesthetic and design it has going in a lot of ways, but it is so in tune with what people with the id of the RTS gamer, I would say. Yeah. It, it's like just the, it's just the, not, not the good parts, but it's just the, it's RTS without eating your vegetables, is what I want to say. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and 
to be fair, and lately, like with with sort of getting into more regular comp stumps, uh, you know, I've been eating those vegetables, and I re- I really I I have been enjoying them, um, but you know, it's it's making me realize just how much I want a game that you know, as you as you were saying earlier, you know, you want you want the ability to tell a story, right? You want the ability to perceive some kind of intelligence and design in in what you're encountering. I think, you know, one reason that Sins of a Solar Empire ended up being a really great uh comp stomp game is that the game that Ironclad made was already kind of a hybrid RTS 4X design. But because it was so expansive, because again you had like lots of siege mechanics built into it, it did a lot of the things that Troy was describing with um, you know Rise of Nations. It was a roomy enough game that when the AI was driven off or you know vanished into its own territory, you didn't know what was going on back there. It would show up again with another good fleet. You could imagine you know there being a competent player and a competent design uh, back there. But but really, who the hell knows uh, what it was up to? You wouldn't know because the game by design unfolded so slowly. Uh, and there were so many, so many like things you needed to keep, you know, ticking along on your end, upgrading planets, upgrading your capital ships, uh, you know, protecting your, protecting your flagships. Um, and, I think it's another uh, another good example of if you give like the more space you introduced into an RTS, the more you sort of enforce a certain tempo in an RTS, the more forgiveness you're building into the entire thing, right? Like Homeworld Deserts of yeah. Croc, when the AI makes a misplay, you see it instantly. You can't miss it. And it's probably going to, you know, shift the balance of the game. If that happens in Sins of a Solar Empire, if you're playing like a giant comp stomp in, in, in that game with like, you know, four AIs, four players or something like that, it'll be hours before this thing wraps up. You won't know. You won't know what the moment was that the AI just completely blew it. Uh, and for me, at least, I, I tend to be happier not knowing. The the other thing that makes the AI seem really clever is just giving the player mechanical room to make mistakes. Like, just giving the player enough rope for them to hang themselves. And, like, Sins of a Solar Empire and Rise of Nations both do this because they have overextension mechanics, essentially, right? And since, you know, fleets travel so slowly across space that when you send a fleet, you're essentially, like, predicting ahead what's going to happen. And, you know even if you're like way smarter than the AI, you can still mess up that decision in wonderful ways. And you can then get surprised and be caught uh, out of position in ways that are much, much harder to happen in something like Deserts of Karak, for example. And I think that this actually kind of picks up on why people like Gump Stumps in Age of Empires 2 so much, because that game is structured as this series of um, stalls and stall breakers, Right. Uh, it you you can't really go for early game rushes in the game because the the tom center is such a, a uh, is such a barrier to any kind of decent attack. So the game is essentially about getting to the castle age, so you have the tools to attack town centers. But when you get to the castle age, you know castles start going up and castles 
are an even bigger barrier to attack. So it's a, so it then becomes about getting to the Imperial Age. So you have the Trebuchet, which is the ultimate stall breaker, and that sort of enforces a lot of hidden information, a lot of you know not knowing what the AI is up to in their base, a lot of not being able to put the killing blow on an AI, even if you like repel an attack or if you get into a better position, it might be just too early in the game for you to be able to make that sort of decisive uh, attack. I think that makes it really interesting for the player too, that approach to giving the player enough rope to hang themselves. And I mean, going back to, going back to that idea, because at least for the way I was talking about earlier, playing a game like Starcraft or a game like Rise of Nations, like the the thing I want to be able to do at the end of that play session, regardless of what RTS I'm playing, is if I lost or if I didn't accomplish the thing, I want to know, like why I lost. Like so, Sins of the Old Solar Sins of a Solar Empire is really interesting to me because I never got into that game. Really, um, because I felt yeah, I no, I mean, my I pl- bottom dollar. <laughs> that that was a Sean Sands game. I you know, I found that element that I think you were talking about, which is you don't know where the game turned, and you don't know where it where where things happened. There wasn't a clear way. I mean, obviously, even in something like StarCraft, you know, in the in the heat of the moment, you might not know that. But looking back, I need that. Like, I need to be able to look, play Rise of Nations and go, oh, you know what? I didn't go get any of the the sort of special resources, so I didn't have any this. Or I didn't advance my age, so I got, you know, uh, uh, blocked from being able to progress to the next level or build enough units. Or if I'm playing StarCraft, I need to be able to say, oh, I didn't expand because I forget that I ha- I floated 5,000 minerals and uh, this is apparently the first day I've played and I forgot to expand. Like those things, to be able to analyze and see where things went wrong and what, you know, where where on the noose I had decided, oh, I'm going to just put this around my neck and keep it there for a few minutes. It'll be fine. <laughs> like if I can't tell that, I, I, it doesn't connect with me. Hmm. I think that this like speaks to this idea that, you know, players come to players with different expectations of what they want. Yeah. And, you know, there's definitely people who approach players wanting to develop mastery and people who don't really care. Um, I'm definitely in the don't really care camp, which, yeah, you know, the, if you want to develop mastery, getting that feedback and being able to sort of understand why where things turn, where you went wrong and how you can improve is really important. But if you don't actually care very much you you kind of just want it to be an interesting narrative you just want it to be readable what happened in the game right less than you want to be able to like point to a specific mistake you made but bruno like the impression i get of you uh both from conversations we've had and like literal stories i've i've edited uh by the way everyone should go to waypoint and read uh bruno's uh description is 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 analysis of the ongoing evolution of age of empires 2 uh and the way that game resolutely uh refuses to be solved uh you know even after are we at 20 years now i don't i think we're at like age of empire no we're we're getting we're closing in but i'm pretty sure the game came out in like 2099 yeah so we're closing in on 20 years yeah yeah it's a great essay but but bruno it seems to me that like for you, you, you may not be invested in mastery, but you definitely seem invested in wanting to understand the, like, 
mechanical and systemic interactions that are happening in the game. Like you don't just want to tell a story of like, ah, and then, uh, you know, turtler hard, uh, you know, decided to throw up reinforced walls and built siege engines. Uh, and it seems like you, you still want to be able to break down what is happening on sort of the, uh, you know, mechanical level and not so much the idea that you're like beating an opponent. Definitely, but I think that there's like a distinction here, which is that I really care about understanding the game on a macro level. I want to know what the systems. I don't want to know what make this game makes this game tick overall. But I'm not super invested in like improving my game. Mm-hmm. I'm not super invested in the micro level uh, understanding of. It's really conf- sorry. It's really confusing to say macro and micro yeah. <laughs> when talking about RTSs <laughs> in this sense. But I mean, I don't, I don't really care too much about the episodic. Um, you know, knowing what mistakes I made or getting better at the game, I because I've made the decision long ago in my life that I don't have enough time to invest into Age of Empires 2 to get good at it. Um, but I care intensely about the systems and also to, to a certain extent, like I get that that understanding a lot more out of watching people play the game than out of playing it myself. Yeah, like because when I'm playing on, on RTS, I am just completely overwhelmed and I don't know what I'm doing and I'm just flailing around like dog at a keyboard, just you know, just completely useless. Um, and I I could tell you a lot more about what went on in matches that I watched than in matches that I actually played. Um. Sean, you, you you brought up StarCraft a couple places and, and talking about this, like, improving one's understanding of the game and uh, mm-hmm. feeling like, you, you know, you're developing. Reminds me of, to me, it always felt to me like at a certain point, the StarCraft II AI did fundamentally improve somewhere amidst all those installments. Like, there was a point where yeah. it became an interesting skirmish game to me, and I want to say it was Heart of the Swarm. Um. That feels right. But because when I, I remember when I played under Wings of Liberty, the AI opponents did tend to be those one trick ponies. Like it was either going to mm. be rushing or it was going to be booming. But like you'd sort of sniff out what you were up against. Uh, and once you, you know, the way it was teaching you to be better was you were improving your builds, you're improving your army control, you're improving your timing, uh, you know, all the stuff that you would need to do to, uh, you know, take your skills to the ladder and inevitably be disappointed. But at least you'd be, <laughs> at least you'd be sort of, the way I put it is like, the art of it, the, the CPU opponent in Wings of Liberty always felt to me like playing against it was doing scales on a piano, doing scales in music, right? <laughs> like you were building up like a muscle memory and just sort of a familiarity with the overall, uh, you know, tone and feel of the thing that you you were meant to play but you were not actually doing anything that was going to immediately relate to performing uh and then i I can like literally remember i was playing a skirmish game in heart of the swarm i want to say where again i got off to a great start and i was handling it like i always do i was just beginning that sort of methodical rolling up of the the ai and I was um, experimenting at that point with, I want to say, Sky Terran. Because uh, who doesn't want to be good at Sky Terran? Uh, you know, and, <laughs> and, so, and sort of mastering that approach to playing StarCraft II. 
But what really shocked me was this time, midway through that game, the computer completely tech switched. Like, mm-hmm. I burned through one of their armies, continued advancing. The next army I saw was completely different. Tons of anti-air. Uh, you know, a mix of AOE anti-air and, uh, you know, base, you know uh, uh, interceptor air units, stuff like that. Uh, but it was, it, like, they, they tailor-made an army to just completely ruin me. All the... Um, all the ground units. I want to say it was like a. I think it was like a Zerg army. So, so all the. Um, all of a sudden, it was just hydralis. Yeah, everywhere. exactly. Like all the all the roaches and banelings vanished, uh, and, and right, suddenly yeah. it was just like hordes of mutas and hydralisks, um, mm-hmm. and it happened instantaneously. And I was amazed because I was like, "Well, fuck! That's what that's what people do." You know what I mean? Like it was something I hadn't seen. <laughs> yeah. It had happened yeah, to me a lot on ladder. Where like I get off to a good mm-hmm. start, but I did not have that. I couldn't smoothly adapt to when people changed up their style of play midway through a game. I really struggled with like getting onto that different footing. Um, and this was one of the first times where I'd been sort of forced to practice that against the AI. It hadn't happened before. Uh, it was really exciting uh, to me. Still didn't make it for me a great comp stomp game uh, because. It always felt too technical in StarCraft II, and maybe that's just my ultimate critique of, of StarCraft II in general, is that that game always feels super technical and, like, meticulously yeah. balanced. Right. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel like I feel like it is it is achieving the thing that I want, and, and, and I do want to... I, I want to be clear, like, I am not a good StarCraft II player. I am not... <laughs> I am not optimizing to be competitive. I am optimizing as a sense of progression, as a sense of oh, I you know if if it's if it's uh, you know scales, it's not oh I can do this scale super fast now. It's oh I learned how to put a new note in the scale or you know move it up of you know whatever. Um, but you know I I think one of the things that that complicates RTS is now I think I think StarCraft 2 specifically is also the the universe it exists in in this not not the fiction but actually this one where it is designed to be an esport right it is yeah. designed with a different methodology in mind and so one of the reasons that I was saying earlier that when I think about the heyday of RTSs um and comp stomps in particular is the days of the 90s because I mean, yeah, there was, you could try and connect through Game Spy. Might work. You don't know. <laughs> Again, right? <laughs> There's a chance. Um, you know, back in the Warcraft, Warcraft 2 days, right? Where you're, uh, you know, in the days before Battle.net, where you're doing, you know, trying to do these direct over the phone sort of thing. Like the reason the comp stomp existed, the reason it was such a thing over that period of time is because while there was multiplayer, it hadn't, like it, it, it wasn't the sort of foundational idea in the way it is. Now, if you build an RTS and you really go for it, there is every reason for you to be sitting back and think, okay, how can I make this last as a multiplayer environment? How can I create a community that is built around this? How can I create it in the you know terms of 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 a uh, of an esport? And if you're if you're Blizzard and you have ten years to work on it, and you have millions and millions of dollars to invest on it, then you can also spend some time uh, getting the AI to do its thing. But 
Blizzard is building that as a training simulator, right? It's not, there's a distinct important difference between um, what you did with, what 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 they did with Rise of Nations, what they did with Age of Empires 2, right? That that, yeah. that was built to be something that you, you should actively go and seek out as a com main component of the game. And I think now RTSs are, you know, outside of those sort of modified ones, like we were talking about earlier, are built to be training simulators. And so if you're not interested in that idea of, I want to optimize my build i want to optimize my timings i want to see if i can do something a little better than i can do it before it's a rough place out there to find your niche yeah i mean what you're describing as a training simulator like that is very much just eating your vegetables right you're yeah you're you're sort of it's not going to be a good comp stop experience it's not designed to be um the thing about the AI switching, uh, tacking out in mid in mid game, like I definitely have never observed the Age of Empires two AI doing that. But here's what's interesting: I'm pretty sure that the the AOE two AI just has like a road strategy for each civilization. It's just that it takes you a very long time to realize that because there's thirty of them. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that's Rise of Nations too, as well, right? Yeah. I mean, it's impossible to have this technical proficiency that you would have in, say, um, StarCraft, because there are only you know three factions, or Warcraft Two, where there are two and they're identical. You can't have that same kind of proficiency when you have, you know, dozens of various opponents, and you can't learn them all perfectly. Um, you so you don't quite know all of the tricks that might be coming at you. Uh, and unless you're an expert, you know all of the all of the, even though you know all of the builds, like if you're if there were, say, a Rise of Nations esport, it would exist by having the best people would just play one country and get really, really good at it and learn how to beat every yeah. nation at it. The, um, the way that but that would be it. Yeah. Well, the way that Age of Empires has sort of handled that is that there's essentially this really complicated metagame of different civilizations and how they play off against each other. Yeah. And almost every tournament structure is built around that. Like, before playing, the players will choose and ban certain civilizations. Oh, wow. For the other player. Yeah, so that, to keep it interesting, right? Um, often there's like a drafting element to it. Sometimes you have to play multiple rounds with different civilizations, to essentially push players off the the tier one civilization, which spoiler alert, it's the Huns, um, <laughs> and onto the like tier two and three or three civilizations, it works essentially like a lot of fighting game tournaments yeah. work. Yeah. So you know, you know, Rise of Nations, and uh, I mean, Age of Empires two is really very much a conquest game, and there's only the there only there's only the one way to win, right? You don't have a, I forget. There's no wonder victory in Age of Empires two, right? There, so is. You know, there is, okay. So there's the Wonder Victory, it, and there's it, the... It never happens in competitive no. play, but it, it's there. Yeah, but, but in comp stomps, it can happen. Um, I mean, I look at, um, in uh, Rise of Nations, there's the Destructive, there's the Territory win, there's the Science win, and there's the Wonder Victory. Now, remember, one of the comp stomps we did with our Patreon group, we were building, us humans, the human team, was building a very nice Wonder lead. The AI was not building Wonders at all. But what it was doing was building a lot of bombers to just go around and destroy all of our wonders. As of here, we were wasting resources on wonders, and it was just, just killing them all. So we had to go the territory route. Otherwise, our city would have been bombed into oblivion. Um, so we hadn't thought about that. But having this great variety in factions, I think, 
adds to a certain, you know, mystery. If you're not an excellent player, if you're not going to go through, you know, the Sean Sands, King of Strategy Games, Path to Mastery <laughs> strategy guide uh, type of thing. Uh, if you're going to be more of a, I mean, someone who, who knows their RTSs, but it will never be good at them like me and likes to, to dabble, having that, oh, this, this is the Nubians. So I'm up against the Nubians. They're an economic uh, strategy race. What will they be doing? Uh, well, they'll be, they can buy a lot of resources. Um, so if they're short on something, they can just buy it at the market. Um, you know, the Mayans or the Aztecs, one of them, metal, when they, when they mine, they get gold as well. And all of these little things can change how you, the type, what your opponent can do. Um, and right, I think the having Lakota this, that don't build farms and all that stuff. Yeah, there's a, the, the, the Iroquois can go through forests. These are like, that breaks the map. Yeah. Uh, uh, having, you know, that kind of variety, I think having multiple factions that you can't you look at it. I mean, uh, Age of Mythology, you only have you know, the three factions to start. I think there are five now, the Atlanteans and the Chinese. And the Chinese really aren't that good. Yeah, in later uh, expansions. Yeah, they just the Chinese are very, very new. Um, and the Atlanteans aren't. That interesting. Like, just Age of Mythology is in the same weird situation as AOE 2, where like there's old expansions from yeah. where the game originally came out, and now there's like a new one. Yeah, the, the from Chinese the HD one. re-release. Yeah, and Which, it's, but there's very very few factions. So there's and as Rob said, they they have the same trickling approach uh, to attack, so they're very predictable. Yeah. So not only are there very few of them, you kind of know what's coming. Um, I mean, so I don't think that, that that might also contribute to why some games are better for interest or fun storytelling comp stomps uh, than others. Now, ex- but then we have, of course, The Sins of a Solar Empire. And I'm with Rob on this. I think it's just one of the best, you know, let's play against the computer uh, games ever made. I just love that game. I need to go back and play it. Hey, look, if yeah, I need to try it again. No, let's let's get it on the rotation. Let's uh, or or let's just let's just hang out. Uh, like, well, actually, I have to go pick up a box fan today, uh, so I, I can't play tonight. But we we do need to do it. Uh, something else I want to throw out there a little bit is um, the degree to which a game lends itself to easy chokes uh, choke points mm. matters yeah. for this, like. And what I'm thinking of specifically, I, th- I think it applies to, uh, like, certainly Rise of Nations. Those maps are often pretty wide open. And again, because production ends up being spread out from all directions, the fights tend to spread out in all directions. Like, the AI will just show up with armies in weird places because, well, I don't know, like, this is the city where we built all this stuff this time. So here it is. <laughs> it's in your southeastern quadrant, uh, even though everything else has been happening, happening you know, to the west. Uh, which is cool, but it's this this idea of, like, you're playing StarCraft. The name of the game is, like, Seal That Ramp. Like, there's always mm-hmm. there's always chokes uh, on these maps. And how the AI navigates those, or, you know, more accurately, it really can't. It struggles with, it's, it struggles with, with handling choke points and maneuvering effectively around them. And knowing how to, like, push through and, like, break, uh, you know, a, a hold in, in a position. Uh, those are places where, like, the AI is kind of set up to fail. It's very easy to see when, like, oh man, you're just feeding resources into this into this wood chipper I've set up, and you, you know you're too dumb to do anything about it. Silly AI, uh, a human wouldn't fall for that. 
uh, even though you know occasionally you do see that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, R.I.P. Marine I mean, King. In some situations, you don't have a choice, right? But, uh, but like the other day, uh, you know, we were playing War Game Red Dragon. Uh, which, if, mm-hmm. if you want to go the Comstom route with the War Game series, that's probably the one to go to because it's basically mm-hmm. got the full list of Cold War era shit uh, in the, in that game from uh, you know East Bloc, uh, China, Sido, uh, NATO, all that stuff. God, it's just encyclopedic it's, too. Like it just yeah, ridic- it's rid- it, it is ridiculous. It, it's like somebody you know chaking, uh, chucking the collected volumes of Jane's at, at your head. Uh, <laughs> but the thing about those games um, is that there are there are like light bottlenecks, like there are bridges, there are river fords and, and stuff like that. But primarily. It's a game without choke points. Like, if you're willing to spend the time sending a tank army through a forest, like, look, that's probably pretty dumb. Like, that's that's probably a waste of those tanks because they're just going to get stuck in there for ages and you won't see them for, like, ten minutes, at which point they won't do any freaking good. Uh, you know, like, the game's not going to stop you. It can still... That sort of thing can still work. And these maps are, like, so enormous... Um, that everything gets very porous very, very quickly. Uh, and so something that I encounter a lot in Wargame is that the AI, just by not getting wedded to certain positions, not fixating on like, oh, I'm going to hold this line. I'm not sure the AI even has a, has a strong conception of what the line is when it's playing that game. <laughs> but that can throw you off because... I think when you're when, like certainly when I'm playing, I tend to think, okay, here's here's the key position. Here's you know here here's the point where this battle is being decided. Here's where I'm holding. The AI doesn't see that. It doesn't see that as like, oh, that's a fight I have to win. The AI will just show up in weird places with weird groups of units, and in a strange way, that makes it more engaging and exciting because when that stuff happens, it feels like a like. I go completely on tilt, basically, right? Like, suddenly, <laughs> there's just a mob of infantry and anti-aircraft artillery vehicles just showing up somewhere I just do not remotely expect them to be. And, like, that shouldn't be that scary, but they're miles away from any of my, like, frontline combat troops. What am I, what am I supposed to do with that? You know, one of the games we haven't talked about yet that I think exemplifies that, and I, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I like a... I like relatively limited engagements. I like a structure to work around. Um, one of the classic games like that people just love is Total Annihilation. And I just could not get into it for sort of exactly that reason, where it's just like, it's too much. It's too big. I can scroll all the way out, and I feel like I'm looking down on a planet, and there's a thousand units all teaming around, kind of, and just no, 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 there's no... It doesn't, it feels sort of chaotic and unstructured. And like, I just, I, 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 I sort of feel that way about war game. Like I really, I've, I've played that game and tried to play it and tried to kind of penetrate its idea about, it feels like a dozen times. And every time I'm just like, but it's every, it's all over. It could come from any direction and I, I inevitably move on. Yeah. I didn't play war game, but I did bounce off, uh, 
Steel Division because they couldn't beat the tutorial AI. So that's where I'm at with that so game. So Steel Division is an... I'll, I'll say this about Steel Division. Uh, it's an interesting case because I think it's way, way fucking harder than... Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Like super hard. Yeah, like <laughs> I, I think something I should have heeded way more when we talked about the, that game ages ago. I was talking with Rowan and Fraser. Was they were like, well, actually, the best way to play it is to play it with other people and then specialize. Like trying to do yep. everything in the game is just nightmarish. But if you're like hmm. being the support. And you're like, I'm going to work on like artillery and, uh, you know, anti-aircraft support and stuff like that. Um, The game gets really manageable and really interesting because then you start seeing really cool, like really cool combined arms tactics become way more feasible because now you can be like, okay, so you pull those tanks up to that ridge and uh, I'll pop smoke uh, just before you crest. And, you know, you can do stuff like that. The game turns really fun. You and I think war game the war game uh, series operates in a similar fashion, but just nowhere near as daunting. Like Steel Division is, there are so many plates you need to keep spinning, and it is so brutally punishing whenever anything goes wrong. Uh, that yeah, like even against the AI, it's maybe maybe the AI has an advantage because it doesn't have a, a fragile meat brain, uh, but. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a thing where you probably just want to turn it into world in conflict is my advice and <laughs> force yourself to like play a role. Um and to an extent you'll end up doing that with Wargame as well, but like nowhere near like it's not quite as stark uh in in Wargame as it becomes in Steel Division. The thing I want to pick up on what you said about Wargame though is that it's interesting that you can make compelling AI by leaning away from the fiction that you're playing against a human by essentially making this alien thing that operates on bizarre moon logic and still somehow wins the game and like shocking players with that strangeness instead of trying to sort of reproduce the uh, the standard kind of level zero strategies that play, that human players use. Yeah, and I think the Wargame series lends itself to that because even though we were just kind of, you know, lightly making fun of it a minute ago, that, like, there's just this endless catalog of military hardware in this game. That means there's a lot of weird shit that can show up in Wargame. Like, so in addition to, like, the map is porous and all that, unit compositions are enormously more complicated in in the Wargame series, especially because depending on what type of units you've picked, that affects how many numbers you can bring out. So, like... You know, really good tanks, you will only ever have a handful of those. But, like, man, if you just want trash tier units, uh, you know, here, have a million, uh, you know, T-55s. Go to it. Um, And that can also really, really throw things off. And so that does kind of flatter the AI because the AI doesn't cling to the understandings that I think a lot of human players do, right? Like... We expect battles to follow a certain kind of logic. We expect we place a certain kind of value on our top tier units, and we think about like what their capabilities are going to be. The AI doesn't get married to any of that. It sees nothing wrong with bum rushing you with, you know, minigun tanks, and you know just burning through all your infantry that way. That seems weird and like cheesy coming from a person, but like the AI, the AI will throw that stuff at you all day long. 
Right. The AI just sees, you know, oh, it's a favorable trade. Push, yeah. push. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, a last thing I want to toss out here. Um, I was out with, you know, I was, I was out with Bruce uh, a week or so ago. And we weren't talking about RTS AI. We weren't talking about comp stomps, but we were talking about, uh, we got to talking about course and pocket and Ian Trout. Uh, and we were both sort of reminiscing about how uncanny the course and pocket AI is. Uh, we talked about this on the show ages ago, but like it is a traditional hex war game, but it has a computer opponent that will do things like genuinely coherent local counterattacks. Like it won't just like counterattack in the one hex that it needs to, to like seal up a hole in its line. It will attack that hex, break you there and then do a breakthrough on its side and sort of imperil your line. And then before it overextends, it will just break off the attack and vanish. And it's, Always, it is it is a weird thing to see. It is it is an eerie thing to see if 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 you're playing that <laughs> game, uh, because basically you're seeing, to a degree, you're seeing a like very competent play at a, at a very baseline level. But then also you're sort of putting it in this context of like, ah, yes, that's that's just what von Manstein would have done. Uh, you know, uh, yes, the master of the the master of the uh, you know uh, operational counterattack. Um, I'm not familiar with that game. It's what. War or theater? Oh, East Front, uh, World War II. Uh, so oh, yeah. it's from it's it's one of the old SSG decisive battles games, decisive campaigns. Yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah, good series, great game, uncanny AI. And Bruce and I were talking about like, why is that so fucking hard? Like, why, like, why is it that that game came out in what, like ninety seven, something like that? Um, you know, why are we still talking about it? 20 years later and, and part of it is maybe just world farts and we you know like it made an impression on me when i finally got around to playing it uh and and bruce just has you know the mind uh, you know his mind is a steel trap for stuff like this but i think there's something more to it um you know that is genuinely standout ai why don't we see more of that and one of the things that occurred to bruce and i is that well one that was a pretty like the ssg development teams were pretty small and Ian Trout was a great, great AI programmer, but he was also a designer on the game. Like, Course and Pocket is designed sort of fist in glove with, like, one, like at least I, I presume, it was designed at least, like, on some level, maybe just intellectually, but it was designed sort of fist in glove with the game design and then the CPU opponent because basically they share a common... Uh, you know, they share a common father. Like Ian Trout's designing the game, and he's building the computer opponent for it. And the game is proves to be very suited to that computer opponent. And the the thought that sort of occurred to us is, in a lot of it, you see that a lot in solitaire war games as well, where the game designer has to be designing a very like careful procedural uh we'll call it you know an artificial intelligence even though it's just a set of uh you know rules that the player will put into effect for the uh you know for the for the solitaire opponent uh but the the solitaire war game has to operate according to those same same rules but i suspect a lot of modern strategy games i suspect maybe the AI discipline and the game 
game design discipline have maybe gotten a little more divorced from one another. I mm-hmm. definitely like AI design is game design, right? Like the AI behavior is a game mechanic. You can't like draw a, a clear line of separation between those things, but when it comes to like large development teams and newer games, and especially a situation like with like StarCraft Two, where I'm pretty sure that the way the AI for the game gets developed is you know by sitting down after the game design has been done, after there's a lot of playtesting yeah. with the multiplayer component, you know, after like the AI probably is to some extent based directly on the meta that emerged when playtesters started playing the game. Like there's definitely that disconnect of the the AI design and the game design not talking to each other quite as much as they would have on those old war games where, you know, they are essentially the same thing. And I strongly suspect that there's not that much of a difference between the solitaire opponent in a solo tabletop war game and the quote unquote CPU opponent on a nineties computer war game. I think I mean I mean, I, I have, I, I think there's a lot of things running counter to encouraging that kind of sophistication and nuance as well. I mean, I, I we talked a little bit earlier about the idea that if you're going to if you're going to invest now, right now, what you're really investing in is that multiplayer component from a different capacity. But I also want to, I do want to touch on the idea. Like, I, I love RTS games, but they aren't to me really relatable to a really solid turn-based or hex game like Mm -hmm. secretly an rts game is an action game from a different perspective right i'm not sitting there when i'm playing starcraft and i'm not i mean i'm thinking about the mechanics of it because there really is a pattern that works very well and i'm thinking about how i want to counter things in a very specific way but you might have that thought on overwatch as well right oh they have this composition they have a sombra they have a or reinhardt and this i need to go you know farah so i can get like it's it's the same it's a different mentality whereas a of course posted, in overwatch it's usually i have to go lose you again <laughs> womp, womp. right yeah oh nobody's playing healer i guess i have to mercy now um no yeah but i mean i i think it, it's it, it's it's just fundamentally different i mean when i play anything from eu4 to uh you know to 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 a, a you know a turn-based game you know a battle tech um, like I'm just not approaching it in the same way, not just because it's mechanically different, not just because the speed is different, but, but guys, the actual engagement of the way I'm interacting with the game is so fundamentally different. Right. I, I don't know that it makes sense to have the AI working that way. Don't have those sort of technical component, right? There's no, um, when you command your Mac to do something in Battletech, there's no execution component to it, right? That, that's kind of what makes the RTS exciting is that, when you commit to a push or to an attack, um, you might know strategically that it's going to work, but it's still like reliant on your ability to execute. Yep. And that's also a thing that kind of works against the AI because, you know, to what level should the AI be able to execute things perfectly, right? Yeah, it's, that's interesting. Like the, the 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 there's also that component of to what degree, right? I mean, the perfect a the perfect RTS AI is just one that just is 
you know, it, it's not about it being strategic. It's about it just oh. operating at an excessive amount of speed, right? And an ability yeah. to process everything at a degree that a human simply can't. Yeah, I mean, the if you wanted to make the the best possible AI for an RTS, you would just create this vicious thing that styles on on the human player by, you know, it would run with two, three, four, seven different rating parties around your economy mm-hmm. all the time, right? Mm-hmm. It, it wouldn't be bothering with like large mass attacks. It wouldn't be uh, bothering with anything. It would just like be perfect macro backing perfect micro you know, all yep. 100% of the time. Which sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds, it sounds Nobody ever makes that place. That's the worst. Right? All right. Uh, I think we will uh, leave it there unless, Troy, do you have anything, any final thoughts on the topic? No, I don't have any final thoughts. Uh, do we want to tell people how they can participate in their games? Oh, I think we've shelled the shelled it quite enough. Uh, no, I mean it's there. There's you know if there's a few people uh, in our Patreon who've uh, you know backed a certain level and and uh, you know we we put we've been trying to get better about putting together a regular game group uh, around that, uh, which you know we also we also lucked out. Uh, one one of our backers was uh, is sort of a, a a natural project manager and is sort of uh, you know. Put an entire system in place, uh, so so we've been we've been pl- doing it pretty regularly, and uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. We are looking for for more people to do, and I'm also, you know, Troy, you've been on vacation. We missed having you around because uh, right now I think it's like a core three or four of us who are who are holding it together. But uh, you know, obviously it'll be good when finally we we sort of spill out of being able to just be contained in, in just one game. Uh, but anyway, that will do it for this week. We'll be back. Next week, with more strategy discussion, uh, Three Moves Ahead is produced, as always, by Malcolm Hermes and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Bruno, Troy, and Sean, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.